Presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz. Broadcasting live on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com and also here on the WBSM Airwaves. We're happy to be here with you talking about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And I guess the upside of the Red Sox terrible, terrible end to their season is the fact that we won't be preempted through the month of October. So our Christmas season is still intact because we'll be here pretty much every Saturday night. Of course, we have Haunted History Night 2011 coming up in Wareham on October 15th. And uh, pretty much everybody that's in this room right now won't be here. Well, we're going to make Matt Costa work double duty because no, we don't know how to. No, no, nobody else knows how to work that stuff. Uh, but uh, Chris Balzano will be filling in that night uh, as your host, all the way from Florida, while we are having our event at the Fearing Tavern in Wareham, as well as a few other historic buildings down there. Tickets are just ninety nine dollars. They are for sale at SpookySouthCoast.com. If you just go there and click on the event, you'll be able to see all the details about it. But you're going to get dinner. You're going to get lectures. You're going to get to investigate with myself and Matt Moniz and Andy here and uh, Jeff Belanger, uh, author and host of 30-odd minutes, and you've seen him all over the place. He's, he's, probably, uh, you know, he's, he's probably the star attraction of this event outside of the Fearing Tavern and the buildings themselves because uh, those are some really unique spots to investigate. The tavern's only been investigated by a handful of people, uh, most of which are in this room right now. And then the other buildings, the one-room schoolhouse, the chapel, and the old meeting house, the old Methodist meeting house, those have never been investigated by anybody. So this is going to be the first chance ever. Uh, so you're going to have hours of investigation, lectures, dinner. It's going to be a great night. $99, and a portion of that goes to the Wareham Historical Society to help them keep these great buildings up. And uh, hopefully it opens the door for a lot more paranormal investigation in there, too. So... I don't know. I'm excited. I'm so excited about it. I've been thinking about this now ever since last week at the uh, South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair when we were discussing some of the Fearing Tavern evidence that was gathered and uh, when we were talking with some of the people about it. I mean, it just it started to get me really excited knowing that it's getting so close. I can't wait to see the looks on people's faces when they get into the tavern and see how awesome that place is. And, and Andy, you write about it in your new book, Ghost Hunting Southern New England, which we'll be talking about you all through the night tonight, uh, talking about with you all through the night tonight. But uh, it's got to be one of the coolest spots that oh, you've yeah. ever had a chance oh, to yeah. check you, out. Oh, yeah. You don't even have to be interested in ghosts to find that place fan, you know, fantastic. It's just it's a time capsule. It really is. They've done a great job preserving it and uh, takes you right back when you walk into it. And one of the interesting things about this book, Ghost Hunting Southern New England, I make a big deal about how we got to go into that tavern built in 1690, and it's got to be one of the oldest spots you can investigate. I, in the book, there are some places there that, uh, that predate the Fearing Tavern. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one of them unfortunately burnt to the ground just recently up in uh, Groton, Groton, Mass. Um, Worcester Paranormal were the ones who told me about that place, and um, it hadn't been written about. And uh, Kathy uh, Caslin and her group were probably the only serious paranormal group to ever investigate it. 
and uh, they brought me in on it. And the stories that the uh, the the owner and the management and their staff told me they were fantastic. I mean, you could see the emotion in these people's faces as they were recounting these uh, these moments. But unfortunately, as the book was being printed this last August on a uh, I believe it was a Tuesday night, nine thirty, it, it it just caught fire in the attic. There was an electrical problem. And by the time the fire brigade got there, it was it was a lost cause, which is a shame. I mean, yes, I did document this site, you know, this historic site and its ghost stories, and uh, but it's just a shame that people won't be able to see it because it was a terrific place to eat, have a drink, stay stay the night. It had rooms in it to stay that were haunted, and it's just a shame they lost uh, what they called the jewel of the historic district in Groton, uh, Mass. It seems like uh, as as we went through the book, as I went through the book, and I was reading some of these, that uh, a lot of these buildings are conglomerations of many buildings that were built during the. Over well, the yeah, years. like out in uh, uh, at the uh, the inn at Duck Creek, uh, Wellfleet. Matt's been there with me. Uh, we investigated that with uh, yeah with Tracy and uh, Tiffany, and uh, we had some personal experiences. And I believe uh, Tracy caught some. Uh, EVP conversation. Am I correct? Correct. She got uh, a couple of little items and a uh, few things on video. But classic, as uh, you know, as uh, I learned f- uh, from reading the fantastic book Cape Encounters. You know, uh, uh, Dan Cape, yeah, Dan Gordon. I mean, he was a, he was a big help uh, me while researching out in Cape Cod, and so was in Gary. You know, his buddy, and they were the ones who told me about the end of Duck Creek. And I went out there, and Bob and Judy were just you know fantastic, and and that's what I learned. Uh, the guy who had the properties since the early 20th century had brought a lot of old buildings around Wellfleet to the property. I mean, the captain's house was already there, but the salt box house was taken from the harbor, and uh, the little um, tavern that was on the property was expanded on by, I think, three other buildings taken from around Wellfleet. And as the Cape Codders say, it's the old wood that holds the souls. So you, you, you just don't have the ghosts that were haunting your property for whatever reasons they are. You have other people's ghosts that come along with the old wood. I want to talk to you a little bit about the process of writing this book because you started this uh, quite some time ago and uh, I remember talking with you about it and you were discussing some of what your vision was for the book and it's it's by Clarice Press and it's part of their America's Haunted Road Trip series. Right. So there was some degree of format to it. It was it was actually, to be honest with you, it was all John Kachuba, the editor for the series. It was John's idea, um, not to steal his story, but he told me he'd written, I believe it was Haunted Ohio, uh, f- uh, for another um, uh, 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 publishing company at the time, the first version of the book. And he had a big, burly, uh, Harley-Davidson-looking guy come up to him at the end of his talk, and he said, hey, can uh, anybody visit these sites you talked about tonight? And that's when the light bulb went over John's head. He's like, ooh, road trip, because mm-hmm. that's what the, the biker was looking for, a place for he and his club to go, and, and uh, they figured a Halloween-themed ride. So John proposed this idea, this road trip series. So he, he was the one who gave me the guidelines. He said, you know, I, I hear that you know your stuff. You've been ghost hunting for a while. You, you know uh, uh, Southern New England. I've seen your website. You know how to write. If you want the job, it's yours. You've got a year to do it. And you've got to have this criteria. And that was the, all the sites, the public had to be able to visit it, mm-hmm. whether it was to have a meal, take a tour, stay the night, or if it was a, an open public place that wasn't private property and you're not going to be trudging around on someone's front lawn to go, go look for ghosts. But that was basically it. I had to find places that the public could go to that had something else special about it besides being haunted. Well, so you have the book as kind of the roadmap for how, how to write it, you know, the series format for how to write the yes. book. But is there a roadmap to how to get to, you know, all these places and how to be able to bring those all about in the course of one year? Because by reading it, it seems like you were just all over southern New England. That's just it. And, and as, as I was telling John at one point halfway th- uh, through the book, I said, I'm literally driving 
to every place that I heard had a reputation because, you know, you, you, like take the Carousel Garden restaurant out in uh, Connecticut. It's, you know, this famous Connecticut haunt. Well, by the time I got out there, it's now a hair salon and beauty academy. So, <laughs> and the woman said, and I've never experienced anything in here. Don't mention me in your book. So I was finding places that had either gone out of business. Or, or and, on the radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. But had, uh, had, well, she said, you know, it wasn't haunted. But I was finding places that were closed down, uh, new management actually was like oh that's ridiculous get out of here this place Mm -hmm. isn't haunted so i did run into a lot of stumbling blocks you know to to fit that that format of the the book but uh with the help of you know my friends and colleagues throughout southern new england i was able to find uh you know enough places for the book 36 chapters and all well and speaking of some of your friends uh, a lot of them are in the chat room tonight on spooky tv at SpookySouthCoast.com, and uh, we hope during the course of the show people can call in and share some of their own experiences at some of the places that andy mentions in the book and that we'll talk about yeah. here tonight the numbers are 508-996-0500 1-877-996-1420 you can jump in the chat room as i said at SpookySouthCoast.com. you can also email us spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, or you can text us 508-444-2661 that's 508-444-BOO-1, B-O-O-1. And uh, that, those are all the ways to get a hold of us and to talk with Andy during the course of the discussion tonight. When you were starting it off, uh, was the idea behind there to try and hit some uh, of the more famous haunts early on or some of the more intriguing haunts, or was there any kind of layout for it in, in how you wanted to uh, I, I bas- the reader in? I basically figured uh, uh, for traveling time, uh, the winter, because that was something I had to take into consideration. I figured I better keep the uh, the sites that are closer to Greenville, Rhode Island, you know, toward the end of the book. Let's travel while the weather's good. I started uh, basically out on uh, Cape Cod and moved into uh, your territory, spooky South Coast, and uh, then basically jumped way over to the other side of Connecticut um, and uh, uh, western Massachusetts and then worked my way back towards Rhode Island. Uh, looking into some sites in Rhode Island during the way, you know, setting up appointments to, to meet people. So uh, it's kind of chronological to how you investigated the site? Uh, no, no. I, I basically put the chapters together, I thought, with relevance to stories. Like if I okay. made mention of the King Philip's War and I knew there was going to be another mention somewhere down the line, I figured, you know, you know, take that into consideration. Um, but uh, no, I put the chapters in the order they did when the book was done. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that as I was writing it, but I didn't go to chapter one first and chapter two second. I was basically bouncing around like a BB. Uh, Connecticut was very tricky. I found... Uh, um, uh, John Zaffis actually helped me, which was, which was great. We had him on our show 30 odd minutes and I'd mentioned I was having a difficulty finding spots in Connecticut. And he goes, Oh, they're stinkers about their ghosts. They, they, <laughs> they like to keep tight lipped about it because I was born in Connecticut. I've been doing this for over 35 years and I have trouble getting into some of these places. But, uh, he, um, he was, um, great in uh, getting me the, uh, the Mark Twain, uh, uh, house and also, uh, the Booth uh, Memorial Homestead, which oddly enough, my editor, uh, was married there. I did not know that. I sent in the story about the Booth Memorial Park in uh, Connecticut and uh, got it back from my editor. And uh, he said, uh, little side note, I was actually married there. Well, there's uh, a similar thing happened when I was putting together my book. Uh, I ran into stumbling blocks in Mattapoisett and Rochester. There doesn't seem to be a lot of openness to talk about that uh, in that area. But it, it seems like out in Western Mass in particular... Uh, people seem pretty open about a lot of these haunted locations. Yeah. Uh, is it, I've never been out that way. And Beautiful. I, I've wondered if there's, you know, you know how we say certain places have a feeling? Yeah. Is there a feeling yeah. out there about a lot yeah. of the stuff? I remember when I went into uh, Lennox, I had the, um, I got an appointment to uh, interview the um, uh, the staff at uh, Ventforth Hall. Um, 
you know, that was thanks to uh, Tom uh, Wafflin at Chicopee Paranormal who got in touch with me about that one. He found me just floating around the on the web. And I got out there and I, uh, I, I took a, uh, a motel room in town and there was a very nice lady um, who uh, had emigrated from uh, India. Very sweet lady. And she, uh, as she was typing up my bill, she's like, so what are you doing in town? And, and I, w- I told her, I said, oh, I'm researching a book. And she goes, oh, you're writing a book about what? And I said, ghosts. And she just stopped typing. And she looked up and went, ghosts? And I said, yeah. She goes, this town is very haunted. She goes, as soon as I'm done with your bill, I'm going to take out a map and show you all the places <laughs> I know have a reputation. So Ventforth Hall apparently isn't the only place in Lenox that has a reputation. But again, they, I guess the locals don't talk about it too much. Nice. Well, uh, well, we did have a call on the line, but of course, as, as normal, I didn't get to them <laughs> fast <laughs> enough. But if you want to call back, the numbers are 508-996-0500, We're talking with Andrew Lake tonight, author of the new book, Ghost Hunting Southern New England. Uh, it's available uh, on Amazon. And uh, yep. I know I got an email, a text message from somebody on our text line earlier tonight saying that they got the book at BJ's. Yeah, I've heard that. Somebody uh, on Facebook said, "Hey, I just got my mom bought the book at BJ's. I can't get it till Christmas." I know it's <laughs> I know it's available at the paper store in Wareham cuz I went in there to see if they had mine. <laughs> and they didn't, but they had Andy's, so that's good. Uh and uh there's there's plenty plenty of places to to pick up the book Ghost Hunting Southern New England, but uh and I know you've got uh, a big event coming up uh next month uh in Rhode Island. Oh yeah, we're on uh, uh November 13th we're putting together the first ever Northern Rhode Island Paranormal Fair. Uh, Jeff Belanger will be there, and uh, hopefully Spooky will make an appearance in some form or another. But the uh, whole idea of it is we're going to be um, setting up uh, uh, tables uh, for everyone from paranormal investigators to historic researchers. We even uh, hope to get a, a dowsing rod expert in. And basically the public can come in, anybody who's interested in ghost hunting or may have a haunting they'd like somebody to look into, they can go around the room and talk to all different types of investigators and researchers and, and, and look for help or advice. And uh, I think it'll be a very, very good informative night. Someone was uh, sending me messages on Facebook this week after the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair last week. Uh, their interest was piqued and they wanted to find out more and find a way to get involved. And I had mentioned this event to them and said, this is the place to go to because he's from Rhode Island. This is the place to go to and to find people who are in the know and people who can help you out. So uh, it definitely sounds like a great networking thing yeah. uh, for people. And, of course, you'll be selling your book there and signing oh, copies certainly, of it. certainly. All right. So there you go. And, and what are the, what's the date again on that? Uh, November 13th. And it'll be at the? Uh, it's the Elks Lodge in Smithfield. Okay. And I saw this website for the event. Yeah, you can find it uh, off of uh, Facebook. Uh, shame on me for not being able to <laughs> ramble okay. off the address. We just we just put it together. Well, we'll look it up during the yeah. during the news break later on. We'll have people it's like later it's on like Northern Rhode Island Paranormal Fair dot com or something like that. It's it's a it's a mouthful. I know that. All right. Well, let's go to the <laughs> phones. Uh, again, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420 are the numbers if you want to call in. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with Andrew Lake. How are you? Uh, yes, good evening. I had overheard a little bit of the program, um, and I was somewhat curious, um, and I wanted to ask your guest about the Coronado Hotel in uh, San Diego. Oh, I'm afraid I have n- no experience no. of that. The book basically cover- covers uh, southern New England. Okay, it just covers. Have had you heard anything about the Coronado? I've heard of it, but I'm I'm not very familiar with it. What are what are some of the stories that come out of there? Uh, well, um, uh, when I was there, uh, my husband and I we got in the cab, and uh, cab driver was all like kind of like very nervous, and he says a lot of ghosts in there, and it seems like uh, Marilyn Monroe had stayed there, and a few a few others, and. Uh, 
I was just wondering if there was some truth to that or not, you know, because I'm a skeptic. Well, yeah, I've heard there's, I believe there was a mirror that used to be in, in her favorite room is now like in the lobby area, and people have claimed they've seen Marilyn Monroe's translucent form in front of the mirrors if she's, you know, you know really, yeah, really checking her hair. And I guess there's a couple of other celebrities that are supposedly seen right. hanging about. But Exactly, uh, exactly. But so far uh, in my research, California, I'm, I'm very vague on Okay. Well, all right. I thank you very much, and I've enjoyed your program. Great. Thanks right. for the call. Bye-bye. I wish our friend Weird Fresno was listening in on the uh, in the chat room at Spooky TV because uh, he would have maybe more answers for us uh, than we can supply. But, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, every area has its ghost stories. Every area has its haunted locations. And uh, I think it's just now that we're starting to pay attention more to some of the ones around here. And uh, books like Ghost Hunting Southern New England are kind of a, an, an easy-to-read, easy-to-learn guidebook to get out there to not only learn the history about it, the reports of what people are reporting, but how to get to them, too. Yeah, yeah. And so when when uh, you actually got the chance to go into a lot of these places, now some of them, I, by reading it, are from pre when you decided to write the book. Uh, well, and I, I revisited even ones I'd been to before to make sure that I was getting my, my stories straight. You know, and, and I wanted to see if there was any, also any fresh stories. Um, like I'd been to the Nathan Hale house in Coventry, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm glad I went back because there were a couple of fresher stories that happened since my last visit. And is it, uh, I mean, did you find that people were more open to talk to you as, a, as an author or more open to talk to you as a paranormal investigator? Who, who do you think has a better chance of getting their foot in the door? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think, um, I think, uh, this, this, you know, most people are impressed when you say, "Oh, I'm writing a book." But uh, I got it. Also, a lot of people w- would ask me questions that left me thinking that they thought I thought I was going to write a book. Like this book was never going to see the light of days. But when I told them, "No, this is a part of the Clearacy Press series. It will be printed." Then it was like, "Oh, well, you know, I'll be in a book, and our, my, you know, the, our place will be in a book." And that's what's that's good for them yeah, because it, it's, it, it's it, public places yeah, that it, want the business. It generate and but but they were also fascinated because a lot of people were like, "Well, I don't know if you believe in this stuff," and I go, "Oh, I do very much believe in this mm-hmm. stuff. I am also a, a ghost hunter and paranormal researcher." So they would then uh, I noticed a lot of people would perk up. So they didn't. I'd run into docents and managers that would go, "Look, I don't believe in this stuff, but." If my staff says this happened, I got to believe them. You know, yeah. they're good people. Or um, a friend of mine came to help me one night at the museum, and we were the only ones in it. And he or she said they saw this. So even though I haven't ex- experienced anything, my friends have. So they felt a little bit more comfortable talking to somebody who was open-minded, not just somebody who was hired to write a book about the subject. Mm-hmm. So it helped both ways. And, and a lot of the stories that come from the book, it's a lot of staff at these locations that mention being the only ones present. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or only a handful of people are, are present at the time. Mm. But are there a lot of stories related to these places of when they're open, when they're active, when business is in full swing? I mean, are some of these ghosts still making their presence known then? Yeah, uh, the the tavern on Main in uh, Chapachet. Matt's been there himself. Um, a lot of a lot of history in there. And Great place. There's got to be at least five, if not six, ghosts if you, if you can count their personalities and what they do. And to, to answer your question, Tim, yeah, people, uh, I talked to a lady that was having lunch in the place, had no idea of its reputation, and uh, the, the, the dining room wasn't that busy, and she looked up from her meal, and there was a, a smiley-faced boy standing there in, like, early 19th century clothing with a round collar and the little knicker pants smiling at her, and she thought, well, there must be some historic reenactment or something in town, and she looked at him and said, hi, little boy, what are you doing? 
And he just smiled at her and spun around. And as he ran away, he just disappeared right in front of her. Wow. And when the waitress came out, she said, you know, is this, this place haunted? And the waitress went, which one did you see? <laughs> and she was like, there was a little kid standing. And she went, yeah, and he ran away and disappeared, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, don't worry. We, we've seen him. He plays with the faucets in the ladies' room and so on and so forth. Well, I think one of the things we've had you on the show many times, you're part of the spooky crew, but one of the things we haven't really gotten into, and uh, if you don't want to, that's fine too, but how you got involved in this field and, and how you first uh, started checking this stuff out. Well, I mean, I think it's like anybody who does this, it was a very early childhood experience uh, at the age of 11, uh, staying with um, uh, family friends. They had a house out in Situate, Massachusetts. It was an old Victorian home that the family, their family owned, and it was much too cold for anybody living it uh, year-round. I mean, paper-thin walls and not much insulation. But there was a great beach house, and um, my friend's great-aunt had died in the house. And I didn't know that, but two nights running at exactly 2.35, I was woken up to somebody downstairs in the kitchen moving stuff around, but yet there were no footsteps, and then it would stop. And it happened two nights in a row, and that's when I found out the great-aunt had died in the house. Two years later in England, I had an experience in a, uh, an old manor house we were renting. And years later, a friend of the family who did not know that story stayed at the very same house and commented on the same phenomena. So at a very young age, I was like, I, w I just had experiences and I knew people who were, I knew I could believe that told me their own experiences. But uh, it wasn't until about uh, 2006, uh, my life took a change. My dad got very ill and uh, I, I decided I was going to keep him at home and take care of him. And uh, with my life completely restructured, it took me about five seconds to realize what I could now do. The way my life was, I'm like, I can do the research now. I can conduct the interviews. I can look into all these places I've heard about, talked to other people about, read and, and what books I'd collected. And uh, since 2006, I can honestly say it's, it's been, it's, it's all the time with me. It's, it's a subject I never get tired of. And when you do have the time to, to spend on the research, which is key, of course, anybody that gets into this, the research is the bigger part of it. The investigation yeah. is only a small part of it. But uh, when you had the chance to actually delve into some of these stories more in depth, um, it, it definitely reflects on you now as an investigator because you come to an investigation with as much historical background as you can uh, and then – Something even like the Fearing Tavern, which when you first came out there with us, you know, you hadn't really known that much about no, it, but you no. came prepared with whatever you could. And while other investigators are running into the building and talking to the tour guides and the, you know, the historical society members and the docents and everybody else asking questions about the activity, your first line of questioning is always about the history. Right. And that's what impresses me because you want to get the full story before you even worry about, you know, what the ghosts are. And I, I think that's at least in my opinion, that's more of come out, coming out of the respect that you have for these places, which I don't think a lot of investigators really have, even though they say they do because they're paying lip service to the location. But, you know, they'd just as soon go in there and rip out everything historical and turn it into a ghost hunting fun park if they could. Yeah. No, I, and, and I, I can tell anybody who does this, it, you know, yeah, it's really exciting when you have something happen to you at a, at a haunted location. But I think some of the spookiest moments I've had is when you're doing research and you find out, oh my God, this guy did exist. This isn't just a story. And he did die that way. And the date matches and, you know, and you start finding these subtle little details, you know, and, and it's just, wow, there is a story here. This just isn't a campfire story that someone's grandfather started and it, you know, grew into a, you know, a, a fiction. And you use, uh, you use the abilities of psychics in a way that uh, makes it a real valuable resource in investigation. Uh, you don't use it as your primary guide, but you use it as a, as a way to, 
kind of uh, get a lead on some information and to verify some other information. Yeah, yeah, and I know a lot of people cringe when you mention psychics, and I, and I respect that. And uh, the, the the woman I work with, who's who's my best friend, uh, Pam Patalano, uh, a friend of mine who was a police officer, introduced me to her, and he said, you know, but I'm telling you, this woman's the real deal. And uh, uh, when I first started investigating with her, the first couple of investigations, my running joke was, is you're a fraud and I'm going to prove it. And by our third investigation, I had to take my, my jaw off the floor. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, we're talking full names, the exact way the guy died, uh, exactly who was there, the situation, uh, things to do with his personal life. And all of it was verified when the phone rang once and the homeowner picked it up. No one was there. And she said, that's your uh, friend, Jimmy. And she said, how do you know? And I said, well, hit star 69. She did. And sure enough, it was Jimmy. And Pam said, could I have the phone? And proceeded to talk to this guy. And everything she had just said to us was verified right then and there over the phone with this phone conversation. Wow. So, yeah, to get back to what you were saying, it does help. Uh, I bring her in completely dry, completely clean. I don't, I, I've, I've been known to not only not tell her the town I'm taking her to, but take the longest way to the, the address I can so she has no idea where I'm taking her. And uh, to bring her in and to have the hits that she's had that either the family members or the business owner could verify right then and there. Or we find poking around in the town hall or the library or what have you or, or interviewing locals, uh, it's been phenomenal. But, yes, she is just, just one tool uh, uh, used um, in the research and investigations. So didn't, does that change your mind then in people that have these abilities, or do you kind of look at this as an isolated case? Well, I, I, I've, again, uh, going back to my childhood, uh, a, a co-worker my father worked with, his wife uh, had the un- uncanny ability to um, shake your hand, look you right in the eye, and tell you your exact birthday, you know, month, date, year. And uh, she did um, you know, predict an accident that was going to happen in our family, and it was almost the way she, you know, she saw it, like down to the last detail. Um, so at an early age, I knew there were people out there that do have this ability, but uh, I think we can all agree we've met a lot of sad and lonely people who like to wear crushed velvet and amulets, and they really wish they had this ability, and you have to just you know, be patient with them. But uh, that's, well, they, might, they might have flashes of it, and they haven't exa- fully developed exactly. it Exactly. Uh, you know, but my, my, what throws a lot of people off about my friend Pam is she's just this white-collar professional mom of five, and you know, she's just this typical mom, drives around in the mom uh, soccer van and all that, all that kind of stuff, and there's just nothing about her paranormal or you know spooky or what have you, and, and uh, uh, she just has this ability. Things just, just come to her like she's a radio or a TV, and she sees images and so on and so forth. But you know, I wouldn't say it's the I would always go with her hunch or what she's seeing, and even she says that. Sometimes she'll get stuff and go, I don't know what this means or why I'm being shown this, but you know, let's make note of it and look into it. And every once in a while, you'll come back and go, whoa, <laughs> wow, no kidding. I mean, our friend uh, Katie uh, in uh, Kushnet, uh, uh, when I took uh, Pam there, the, the, the stuff that's been found out and, uh, you know, through historic research since her visit has just absolutely been bingo, you know? Yeah, uh, researcher Debbie White-Piva phenomenal researcher i mean this girl digs in archives and pulls out things that are just phenomenal this is what she does this is you know who she is and how she does things and to see what debbie pulled out to validate 99 percent of what uh, pam brought out about the house without ever never having been there yeah never mind being able to you know but she was able to validate a ton of stuff and uh, I, I've met Pam on several occasions and have to say that I am definitely impressed with her. Yeah. Well, uh, it sounds to me like uh, it's, you know, well worth the, the cost of having to, to buy her a, 
cup of coffee and maybe a couple (laughs) (laughs) cheeseburgers late in the night and you know whatever it takes but uh that's what impresses me though is when you have somebody that's using those abilities for research and for investigation instead of just i mean i'm not disparaging anybody Mm -hmm. who does do this but instead of just using it as a money-making ability and as as a career for themselves but to be able to dedicate to the research like that they're only helping everybody else that has those abilities they're helping to prove that those abilities are real and the whole field benefits from it so Uh, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the book is uh, right in my hometown of greenville uh, a site that nobody had written about before and uh, uh, Pam did get involved with the, uh, the research and invest- as an investigator at the mill site. And uh, our very good friend Jim McNasher, who's written uh, uh, four books on local history in Rhode Island, had known a little bit about the, uh, the mill and had uncovered a tragic murder involved with, at the mill. And uh, uh, Pam almost hit the guy's name exactly, uh, the killer uh, who killed the woman that he worked with, the mill. But I thought the most remarkable thing is she said, he's, he's kind of like, he's kind of like, very childlike he's not very smart he's very dim-witted um he's yeah he's he's very childlike not not too swift and the newspaper account of the uh the guy's trial his mother even stood forward in, in, in the court and said your honor he's just too simple he doesn't understand the crime he's committed he's very very simple in the head so uh that you know, the fact that she almost nailed his name exact and got that that characteristic about him and, and hiding in the mill and shame and in fear, and it was just, uh, it was rather spooky when uh, it all came together. It uh, definitely sounds like it. Uh, we're we're going to uh, talk a lot about some of the locations in the book coming up in the second hour, and I want to get, I really want to pick your brain a little bit in the second hour, because normally when we bring you in here, you're guest hosting with us, and we're talking to another guest, but I don't really get the chance to talk to you about your theories and about what you think is actually going on with all this stuff. Okay. So we'll do a lot of that in the second hour, but we also will talk about more locations from Ghost Hunting Southern New England, but we did just get an email in at SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Mark from Cape Cod wants to know where one can buy this book. And uh, we did mention a few places, but we'll mention a few more. And also, if there's any stories from Cape Cod. Uh, Because Gary uh, (laughs) uh, did such a great job with um, uh, Cape Encounters, I felt, uh, sincerely, I think that's the book about Cape Cod. I really Mm -hmm. do. I think I I will endorse their book. I absolutely love that book. Uh, I I did this the story in Wellfleet, and toward the back of the book, there's a, uh, a short list of places with a haunted reputation. Uh, and I did mention a couple on Cape Cod, but uh, if you want a guide to locations in Cape Cod, get Cape Encounters. I, I'm, you know, I, 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 I hate to endorse someone else's book over mine, but it's a terrific book if you're interested in Cape Cod. It really is. But that's, I mean, that's just how it works here. I mean, no, we're, we're not. We're not doing this to to make money because let's face it, yeah. there's no money to be made no. in publishing ghost books. But we're doing it because you know we want to contribute our. Well, our say to the community, and it just makes for an overall. I think anybody that's serious about the paranormal in southeastern Massachusetts should have this book on their shelf, as well as everybody else's books yeah. that are out there, because it's not just. It, it, it's not like the old days where, like, you would write a book, and then I would write one, and I would say Andy Lake writes in his book, and just yeah. quote from you word for word. We're it seems like everybody's going out to the same places and building upon what people right, have done in the past. Right, right. I mean, so many people who write about this topic. Charles Turk Robinson is the the god in this area for for his book, New yeah. England Ghost Files, and it just seems like everything has just increased since then. Instead sure. of just rehashing, it's reinvestigating, it's reanalyzing, and uh, this. I mean, and you just do a great job of 
bringing a lot of it back to the essence of the ghost story of what it's all about. Uh, I mean, that's really what I'm all about. I tell people I don't do this to try and prove the existence of ghosts. I think that's a waste of time. But I think it's so important that we document these stories so when we're gone, they don't go back into these blurred urban legends, you know. Uh, as you know, I, I've, uh, that, that's, that's bugged me. And when I hear a ghost story, that just sounds too cliched. Same thing with Chris Balzano. I mean, look, look, look what he's done with the redheaded hitchhiker story. I mean, I think he's done a good job of separating the wheat from the chaff on that story. Yep. Yeah, there is a good ghost story somewhere in there, but you got all this urban legend junk that gets uh, connected to it. So let's push through that and, and look for the real stories. And recently I did have a woman come up to me uh i was at the slater mill and she looked at me and goes have you ever heard of that hitchhiker out in 44 <laughs> and i was like yeah i've heard about that and she looked at me dead serious and went i've seen him wow. and i won't go into great detail about it but what i found fascinating was she didn't see him right on 44 it was near the seekonk uh, line but it was right off on her street and she didn't know the story when she encountered this guy same thing plaid shirt Looked like he had like reddish hair and a, and a scruffy beard, and he mm -hmm. just stepped right out in front of a car, and she thought, "That's it, I've just killed somebody." And I uh, was so upset that when she got home, she pulled her whole family out of the house to, "No, please help me. This could be somebody laying up there in the dark. I could have hit." And uh, they were all going, "Yeah, right, right. It's the, yeah, it's the hitchhiker, right?" <laughs> She's going, "What do you mean? I think I hit somebody." And once it sunk in that she wasn't kidding, and she understood what they were talking about they went up there to see if they could find anybody on this very cold night there was nothing there was no sign of anything so why would somebody you know pull a prank like that and not do it on the stereotype you know cliched you know 44 track that you know he's always talked about so i do believe there's a real ghost story there but it gets polluted with the urban stuff you know and not to, to deviate too much from that idea but i, I want to bring this up uh last week at the south coast paranormal mm. and psychic fair uh Myself, Matt Moniz, and, and Andrew Lake, we were all there. And there were lots of people coming in who were not part of the paranormal community who just had an interest or wanted to mm -hmm. share their own stories and experiences and find out more. And somebody who was in attendance, I don't, I don't want to say his name uh, without his permission, but he did put it out there on, on Facebook that uh, a, a little girl and her mother, a little eight-year-old girl and her mother had come up to him and showed him a video on a cell phone of a cat uh, playing with a ball in a bedroom and all of a sudden, this arm just materializes I've heard out about of nowhere. This video. I haven't seen it, but I've heard about it. Well, as it turns out, I said to him, it sounds very familiar to a video that I saw quite a while back, which has essentially been debunked as a hoax on YouTube. And he's like, well, you know, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in seeing the video. At the very least, maybe this is a frequent phenomenon that's happening and we can track it down. And when I showed him the video, he said, oh, my God, that's the exact same video. I was had by an eight-year-old <laughs> because her mother seemed to genuinely believe that what the eight-year-old was showing them was true, too. So the question became amongst our discussion, our online discussion was, why would somebody do that? Why would somebody go through all that trouble of having their mother take them down oh, yeah, there to well, go up to this, you know, semi-famous paranormal person, uh, an up-and-comer in the field, and, and say to them, you know, why is it that they would go to those well, lengths? I, I think Jeff Belanger said it in his book, Legend Tripping, because they become part of the story. Mm -hmm. they, well, and you also have the people that, you know, well, they come up with the conclusion to the story. Well, that person wanted to be, you know, part of the, you know, the, the legend of, 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 you know, a ghostly arm grabbing at cats or whatever whatever legend they wanted to hook onto. But there are people that'll do that. They just want to get in there. I mean, some are doing it for a laugh, and then some are doing it for the thrill of, ooh, I'm going to be mentioned in you know, books from now on with this case. And, and my point to him is that uh, 
you know, we've reached a point now where you can't just be skeptical about the paranormal reports anymore, but you have to be skeptical about the person that's reporting them. Yeah. And it, it didn't always seem to be that way. And uh, Moniz, you've been doing this for a long time, but it seems to have to not have always been that. If, if you could get somebody to talk about their ghost story, it was reluctant enough mm. that you know you had to take them at face value because it wasn't it wasn't something that they want to share. But now everybody wants to be part mm-hmm. of the story. Ten years ago, you'd have to pull nails and mm-hmm. teeth to get somebody to talk about this stuff. Since the advent of uh, the current, you know, wave of entertainment, yeah, yeah, yeah wave, the entertainment. I don't yeah. really want to call them ghost shows because yeah. they're not really shows about ghosts. They're more entertainment than anything else. But since it's become more publicly uh, acceptable to do so, people are coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we are coming up on the end of the first hour. Uh, we will have. Uh, plenty to talk about coming up in the next hour. We're going to talk about more of some of the locations in ghost hunting southern New England. We're also going to talk about some Wareham locations, yeah. including one that you can check out uh, coming up on October 15th at Haunted History Night, uh, which is up on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, if you want to buy tickets. Uh, they are limited how many we can sell, and they are moving, so you want to get involved because even though the event is October 15th, we need you to buy tickets ahead of time just so that we can get a good count for right. the food. And uh, the the other thing that I want to talk about, and I know we talked about this a little bit, and I th- I think you want to maybe discuss the oh, evidence sure, sure. that you captured recently because uh, this is a, a pretty fascinating piece of evidence that I just saw for the first time tonight. So we'll talk about all that and more. We'll also take your calls. Uh, again, the numbers are one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Email spooky crew at spooky south coast dot com and texts to five zero eight four four four. Two six six one. We have a lot of different numbers for people to use here. But <laughs> they're all up on SpookySouthCoast.com uh, if you can't find them easily. And when uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about not only these locations that are haunted, but why they are. It's not just about the ghost stories, but it's the history behind them. And that's what, in this book, Ghost Hunting Southern New England, Andrew Lake's been able to do. Uh, and... Again, if you want to pick up the book, it's available in local bookstores. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that uh, you know, with Halloween upon us, they're going to be in every bookstore around here. Uh, and, of course, Amazon.com. Uh, Clarity Press probably has them on their site, too. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, Barnes & Noble, by the way, if you go in there, they like to put it in their travel section. So don't go right to the ghost <laughs> section. It makes sense to put it in the travel section. Well, I bet you if you yeah. go into the local Barnes & Noble here in, in Dartmouth, uh, they, they have a nice table all the time with local history. And there's a local you know, ghost section there right right so i'm sure it'll be front and center right there when you walk into the store uh and also uh you can go to our site spooky we'll put it up in the spooky store which if you buy things out of there it helps us out a little bit and we'll we'll even take some of our profit back and give it to you Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> like i said <laughs> there's not it's not as glamorous a, a a field as people think it is uh but when you make the connection with the locations you can't help but want to tell their story yeah all right so we will uh We'll talk about all that coming up. But again, if you want to pick up the book, do so now online while we're taking a break. Uh, you can also pick up your tickets for Haunted History Night 2011 coming up on October 15th. Just $99. I want to keep promoting this because it's such a great deal uh, to, to get into a place that nobody's investigated that was built in 1690. Just imagine that. Yeah. Imagine It's seen every day of this country's history for as long as it's been around. So I know I, I'm just excited to get back in there. I am too. Uh, And we will do that. So we'll be back coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, For now, we're going to take a break. You can check out Spooky TV and see what's going on in the studio during the news. And we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
happens now is happening now. What happened to then? Past that. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. Spooky South Coast is back. I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. I knew it. I'm surrounded by balls. Welcome back to hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And our guest tonight in the Spooky Studio is Andrew Lake. He's the author of Ghost Hunting Southern New England. The new book is part of the America's Haunted Road Trip series from the Clarity Press. We are broadcasting on Spooky TV as well as on WBSM. You like how I almost forgot the radio station? It's only like everywhere around here that I almost forgot. And... It is the most awesome station out there, except for a new online station that's coming up that I'll tell you about in just a minute. Uh, but uh, we want to uh, thank Chris for sending in the cookies. It was a nice, pleasant surprise yes, to find. Yes, and Very uh, tasty. I'm looking forward to that when I get home with some milk. Cookies and noisy crickets? Yeah. And Laser tag in the studio. <laughs> but uh, thank you again to Chris, uh, one of our biggest fans. And uh, also... Uh, we want to remind everybody out there that uh, Spooky TV does broadcast all week long. We have uh, shows that are in the works that are going to be coming to our online network on SpookySouthCoast.com. Uh, but right now you can catch Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice Tuesdays at 9, in addition to our show every Saturday night from 10 to midnight. But if you're in the paranormal field you'd like to host a show, let us know. I just was in discussions this past week with what I think is going to be a show that will blow everybody out of the water here. Uh, it's coming. I don't know how much I can give away just yet, but a very old friend of the program. Uh, no, she's not very old, but she's been a friend of ours <laughs> since the beginning. Uh, is uh, heavily involved in demonology, and she has a program that's going to be forthcoming, uh, Hellfire Radio. And this isn't going to be a typical, you know, the the demonologist for a paranormal group, the person who says, that's going to be my specialty. I'm going to work on the demonology end of it. And uh, talks about this is, we're talking about connections to the church. We're talking about some real inside information and, and people who are involved with demonology and the battle against demons every day contributing to this program. So it's going to be just, it's going to be phenomenal. And uh, knowing the people that are involved, uh, I'm, I'm referring to them now, and I, I don't want to give away any information yet, but I refer to them as the West Coast version of Keith and Sandra Johnson. So that just goes to show you what regard I hold these people in for, because everybody knows how I feel about Keith and Sandra, so, uh, who were amazing last uh, Sunday night at the South Coast Paranormal and Psychic Fair. But stay tuned to Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com for more forthcoming information on that. Uh, but hopefully we can make it happen real soon, and it's it, I'm just... I can't wait. I know that I'm going to have trouble sleeping after watching Hellfire Radio. But <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, uh, I mentioned a new online radio venture uh, between myself and uh, a gentleman that I went to school with. I don't know if he wants me to publicly say his name. So uh, I know he's in the chat room, though, tonight. So, uh, But we are putting together something called WarehamRadio.com. And uh, it's going to be a website where it's going to be people talking about and talking from and just anything all about Wareham, whether it's uh, things in your, your own 
life that you want to focus on. You know, if you have a hobby, you want to do a show about your hobby. If you want to talk about politics, which is a very hot button, hot hot uh, button topic in Wareham, uh, there's room for that. So uh, there's going to be probably a lot of controversy around it, knowing how if things are and how divided uh, Wareham is right now. But uh, it should make for a very entertaining product. So uh, wherehamradio.com is the website. Stay tuned to that as well. And if you are somebody who would like to host that on uh, Wareham Radio, if you want to host the program on there, just uh, email us, wherehamradio at gmail.com, and uh, we'll help you work it all out. So. How about barbecuing with Matt and Joe on Sundays? I like that idea. A radio. I was actually going to see if they were interested in doing a show about guns. Oh, there we go. Because I know that they're very knowledgeable about that topic. Maybe we can work it out, grills and guns. <laughs> that actually doesn't sound like a bad idea. Or buns and ammo. Hey! hey see? Well, with the recent cantaloupe scare, the uh, poison cantaloupes, Matt and I will have to keep assassinating cantaloupes out of the range. <laughs> Well, so I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of good stuff coming up both on Spooky TV and on Wareham Radio. So stay tuned to those websites for all that information. But now let's get back into the discussion of ghost hunting Southern New England with our guest tonight, Andrew Lake. He is the author of the book. Uh, and uh, I'm getting texts from people in the field that want to know who it is that's uh, going to be bringing Hellfire Radio to Spooky TV. I, I can't make that announcement. Yet. Look in the archives. You'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't this, this person hasn't been on the show. Oh. Yeah, see? So uh, Matt Moniz is even intrigued. So uh, I'll tell you guys off there. I can right. tell you guys. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk more about ghost hunting Southern New England. And we, we mentioned uh, throughout the course of the show our Fearing Tavern uh, Haunted History Night coming up October 15th. Get your tickets now, SpookySouthCoast.com. But uh, you have a chapter in there about the Fearing Tavern and, and your video what you've dubbed Tinkerbell that you right. captured is actually one of the most intriguing evidence for people that want to come out and check out the Fearing yeah, Tavern. Yeah, and, and uh, when you mentioned the Fearing Tavern in that video, that's also uh, one of those oh. things that just makes me go, ugh, because uh, I learned the hard way about uh, hard drive video cameras uh, through that uh, clip. Uh, I found that you do not download hard drive video into a computer using the program that comes with it, especially if it's night vision photography, because it gets watered down. Yeah. So I lost the original footage and the footage, unfortunately, that we have, which is compelling, is not as amazing as it was when it first was found on the camera's hard drive itself. That light was so intensely bright and twinkling when we caught it. And unfortunately, you know, we fortunately we do have a video of it, but unfortunately, it is a it is a watered down version of the original. Uh, that, that's something I've learned uh, how to avoid that mistake in the future. But uh, nonetheless, very, very interesting video. I, I showed it last week as part of my Ghost of the South Coast discussion. And even on the big screen blown up, the video that was uh, essentially I just pulled it off YouTube mm -hmm. and added it into my presentation. And even then, though, it was enough to have people sit up and take notice. Yeah, it comes right out of the wall. <laughs> and it goes into a little doll. And the funny thing is, is uh, we figured out right around the same time frame uh, below that room, because that used to be the storage room for the tap room. That's where they kept the spirits, ironically. Uh, and Mike Markowitz was down there with you, and that's when he caught that EVP of the little girl saying, want to play dress up? Mm. So it makes you wonder if there is a childlike spirit, this little Tinkerbell spirit floating around there still having fun. Well, what about the information that uh, Debbie pulled up this oh, week? Oh, yeah. We're, we're talking about Debbie, the re researcher. She just uh, emailed uh, Matt. Matt forwarded on to me. She found a book from the early 1900s, or like yeah. 1920, where they just nonchalantly mentioned that uh, paupers were sold at the Fearing Tavern. 
It was a slave trader. Yeah. Mm. And when, not just African-Americans. We're talking about anybody yeah. who was down on their luck. And it's like, oh, you don't have any means? Well, guess what? You're now my property, and I'm going to sell you to the next guy that comes along mm. to the tavern. That would include vagrants. That would include yeah. Native Americans. It's scary to think that that's, yes. that was going on. And, I mean, not only was the guy a loyalist, we're now finding out he was in the slave trade. So, in my opinion at this point, I think that does back up uh, – you know, some of the people at Historic Society, uh, Ryder, who wrote the book, he was saying yeah, that. Uh, Ryder, yeah. yeah, he was saying that he doesn't think the Fearing Tavern had anything to do with the Underground Railway, and it's starting to look like they wouldn't have been sympathetic to runaway slaves. They might be the kind of people who turn around and hand them back in for a reward. I mean, I maybe well, I'm this, going. We are talking about generations yeah, later. Yeah, but, gen- generations yeah. later. So it, I guess maybe that's why Ryder was so adamant about saying that he found nothing about any connection to the Underground railroad with with the uh the 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 fearing family in the tavern but uh that that was kind of a spooky uh thing to to learn about uh you know benjamin fearing well especially when you look at the fearing family and a lot of the contributions that they made to the area oh uh, tremendous i mean the, the the area wouldn't have been the area without the without them i mean and even today some of their descendants are still in the area i mean i've had Two people in the past couple of weeks contact me and let me know that they're descendants of the Fearing family. Uh, and, of course, Israel Fearing, uh, you know, just not too far from where we are here, uh, Fort Phoenix, you know, he helped uh, defend that against the British, marched all the way from Wareham. I think they took Route 6. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they came all the way up here from Wareham. And Israel actually went to the back of the line because his men did not want to go and fight because they felt that it wasn't their battle. If it was Fairhaven, it wasn't their problem. Right. And so uh, he actually got behind them and told them that he would shoot the first man that ran off. So uh, it's – it's and and the all these families are kind of interrelated to each other. Oh, sure. The Fearings, the Dillinghams, all these families that were all key to building this area. Uh, and now a lot of their spirits cross too. Uh, I guess – I mean we'll, we'll tread on this lightly because mm-hmm. we don't know how public it is. But you are – investigating something else that's related to yeah. that family. Yeah, Matt, uh, Matt's been telling me for a while that there, you know, there's a house that belonged to the Fearing family uh, in Wareham that he's been hearing stories about for years. Matt, you want to fill the listeners in on some of those stories real yeah. quick? Yeah, uh, the house is related to, obviously, the Fearings. And for at least 30 years, uh, I, I've been hearing stories about it. And for the past 25 years, I've always really wanted to get in there. Well, I've recently become friends with the uh, homeowners and we finally got the chance to go in there and uh, one of the girls that lived in there in the house told me several stories about what it was like growing up in the house and she had uh, an apparition when this is in uh, I would say 1988 89 that's why I seem to remember the date she was throwing out yeah Uh, she had just uh, became pregnant her she was uh in the house with their boyfriend sitting on the couch. They were just watching television. The whole couch levitated about a foot and a half off the ground and dropped them to the ground. There was nothing to pick up the couch. You know, it was just a regular, as a matter of fact, she says, one of those old-fashioned fold-out couches, which uh, oh, anybody yeah, that's yeah. ever had one of those, you Takes know. four or five hey, guys just to move it across the room. Yeah, and it was just her and her boyfriend sitting on the couch, and... uh Later, she said, after she had given birth to her daughter, this is shortly after, and she's a brand new mother, the the baby's barely a few months old, a woman came from one of these side bedrooms, entered into her bedroom, and went right to the bassinet where the baby was sleeping. This freaked her out so much, she jumped up, ran out of the room, 
left the child in the room. That's how scared she was. How many mothers do you know that? Yeah, that's, you, that, that's the how scared do you have to be? As, as, as the moment she got outside the door, she realized, I just left my kid. Flicked the light on in the hall, went back, grabbed the kid, and ran downstairs. But the kid, uh, her daughter, as her daughter grew up, would play with an imaginary friend that for years she said the kid would uh, be sitting in the room talking to this other child that uh, she couldn't see, but the child could plainly see and talk to. And he said the little boy goes home at night to go sleep in the well and out back and behind the property. And as you know, the history about the children buried, you know, under the apple tree out out by the well. That was mentioned to me today. I was actually uh, at a yard sale in town, and I happened to run into some people who live – uh, in a home that's part of the property. And we're, we're trying to speak very generally here so as not to give anything away. Uh, but uh, I had heard the story about the children being buried on the property, and I had heard about children not wanting to leave their house, which is part of the original property, mm-hmm. not wanting to leave. And when when one generation came in as kids, they didn't want to leave, and now they're older, they bring their kids, and their kids don't want to leave. There's something there that keeps them there that they don't want to part from the property. Uh, so... Well, I can tell the story about, uh, as you know, I was friends with the person that lived across the street because I always looked across the street and was like, boy, i really like to get in there. But uh, I'll call my friend John, who lived across from this house. I, I, I remember, you know, talking to him. And he, he told me stories about when he moved there. This is before the current owners are there. And he would play with the little kids in the apple tree across the street. You know, that, you know. But... He's a res- respectable person in town, and he doesn't want to, you know. Make, yeah, you, you know no, how I that works. No, and I know who you're talking about, you. So I can understand the the trepidation about sharing that. But it seems like this family, you know, uh, as much as they're tied into the town, it seems like their ghosts are pretty tied into it as well. Yeah, I mean, I was I I found the stories very very interesting, and um, Matt had stayed in the uh, the kitchen actually. Where the kitchen is now is where the, the the couch story took place. The couch being lifted up and dropped, and I just very dis- you know just nonchalantly, discreetly just wandered away from the group and um, went up into the attic, which has a reputation and it does feel really weird up there. I have to admit. And I did uh, an EVP session and I uh, wandered downstairs and I was taking pictures uh, from the UV through normal light into in- deep infrared into that spectrum. And I was just taking pictures, and I was setting up the camera and, and taking a shot and making sure I got a good shot and then just moving along. And when I went back downstairs into the uh, the first floor entryway, I took a shot up into the staircase with the camera and caught the open kitchen doorway, looking through the kitchen, through the uh, the living room, and you could actually see the detail of the trees in the backyard. Uh, from the foreground to the background, the detail of the picture is good, crisp, and clear, uh, even though it's got that, that funny sort of infrared pink and UV uh, blue color to some, some of the, uh, the, the colors in it. Well, nobody was in that picture when I took the shot because I took my time setting the camera up and make sure I got a good steady photograph, took the shot, and I moved along to take some other shots. And 1.30 that night, running through the pictures in my computer on a much larger screen, I noticed there is a milky white human form in the middle of the kitchen as if it's walking by the door and i know like my my middle name is scott there was nobody in that picture when i took the shot and the strange thing is is they're washed of color there is no color to them and the detail is not there but yet everything from the foreground to the background has absolute clarity and detail and when i cropped it uh and you know brought the picture up 
it looks very much to me like a, a colonial gentleman with a sort of uh, Ben Franklin-style haircut uh, in the, the face. You can make out what looks like eye sockets and lips and a chin and a nose. And uh, we've got to get back into that house and take a bunch of uh, pictures in that same location mm-hmm. just to make absolutely sure that there isn't some... Weird, yeah, weird with the, the, with, yeah, you know, uh, exactly. Um, but it doesn't even match anybody who was there that night. It just, it, you can't even take somebody that was there and vaguely put them into that shape. So, at this point in time, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit excited about it. I think we, we lucked out and, and caught somebody in the infrared spectrum. Well, I saw it earlier tonight before we came on the air, and it, uh, after hearing about it, yeah. you know, for the past week and, and being intrigued, uh, it, and it, it blew me away when I saw it. So, and, and you're going to reveal that to oh, the public? Oh, yeah, uh, certainly. I mean, if we're going to be at the Fearing Tavern, I think this investigation is relevant to that night, and yeah. I think uh, people will find it fascinating. And, and I'd also like to hear what the, uh, what the folks have to say who see it, you know, because I'm not selling this as a ghost picture, but mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Matt and I were there. And, it's, it, but it's and, an anomaly. And, yeah, it's, it's definitely an anomaly that just doesn't belong there. It's, it's a fascinating picture. I can verify that nobody was in that doorway when he was taking that picture because I was sitting at the kitchen table with the other individuals that were in that house. Uh, one person was a bald-headed male. The other was a black woman wearing a baseball cap. And the third was a blonde-headed woman in, who had her hair in a ponytail wearing a T-shirt. And you see the image. It, look, it would look like none of those people mm-hmm. I've described. Were you, were you running your uh, thermal at all? I, I did do a little bit of that throughout the We were only there for about an hour, an hour and a half. We yeah. were just there actually to collect the stories of the people. Mm-hmm. We brought some of the equipment just to show what we would do. And, to try to, and you're just trying to get a, you know, you're probably trying to get some establishing shots exactly. to see, like, That's you know, how you can utilize your equipment. It was not an official law. Right. We were there, you know, it was a reconnoiter. We were there to get a layout of the place figure out where we could go and set up later for upcoming investigations. It wasn't really an investigation. It was more of a, a fact-gathering type of excursion. Yeah, we definitely want to get Mike Markowitz in there. <laughs> and I'm sure he would love to go. I talked to him today. He's like, just give me a few days' notice, and I'm there. Yeah, that's, and, and that's uh, that goes back to what we were talking about in the first hour of the show, is just the community aspect of the paranormal here. You know, everybody works together. Nobody's worried about stepping on everybody's toes because everybody wants to work together. Yeah. And uh, that's that's definitely evident when reading Ghost Hunting Southern New England because you share a lot of the stories and experiences of other investigators. Yeah. It's not just about what you've encountered, but it's also about what they've encountered. No, I it, uh, I've, I felt uh, very lucky to have... Uh, you know, contacts with, with people who had been to these places. Uh, you know, yes, I'd been there myself, but some of them had uh, some amazing stories to tell them themselves. Uh, Kathy Caslin's uh, story of Groton, uh, you know, uh, her and her uh, nephew uh, staying the night in uh, the room uh, 10 that was very haunted. And uh, some people have actually were saying that they got woken up in the middle of the night, either having the blankets pulled off or someone tugging them and trying to wake them up. And she knew her nephew had to get to uh, work early that morning around 6 so when she woke up to someone tugging her and pulling her in the bed, her tired brain as it's waking up is thinking, oh, it's my nephew telling me it's six, we got to get going. And as she wakes up, she's still being shook in the bed, and her nephew's on the floor snoring. She basically put everything in, in her ghost hunting bag, woke him up, <laughs> and didn't say anything to him until they got in the car they were driving away. So, I mean, stories like that are just, to me, are precious. I mean, and I, I feel very lucky to uh, know the people who had the firsthand experience with them. And it's it's... Maybe it comes through this way for me because I know many of the people that you're writing about, but it seems too like uh, 
you know, all these investigators that you interviewed as part of the, the process of putting these stories together, they're all coming from different approaches. Yes. You know, and they're all coming from different viewpoints and different belief systems. Uh, so you're getting kind of an amalgamation of what people think ghosts and spirits are yeah. in, in southern New England. Yeah, yeah. It's not so it's kind of it's not just it's not just a paranormal book, it's not just a, a tourism book. You know, it's also kind of a, a cultural and anthropological yeah. book a little bit because you're yeah. finding out more about that New England, you know, cracking that New England exterior to get to what some yeah. of the beliefs are underneath. Yeah, yeah. And I never really asked you, what, what are your beliefs? Because you seem to have encountered enough of these spirits and to have made connections with them that you must have developed at least some sort of hypothesis of, of what you feel a ghost is. Well, I, I do believe that it is uh, the human uh, spirit, the human existence. I do believe we're, we're, we are creatures of, uh, of energy and that right now we're just walking around in these biological machines that eventually give out and they have their time and they go to dust in the earth. But I do believe we, we continue who we are, what made us special, uh, our own thoughts and feelings uh, uh, do continue on. But I think ghosts um, have, it's been my experience that ghosts come in different forms, different shades, different degrees. I mean, a lot of people go with that residual intelligent, um, and I, I, don't, I don't debate that, but I just personally feel that a lot of hauntings that people immediately go, oh, well, it's residual because people say they see the, the ghost doing the same thing over and over again, and it never interacts with people around it. Well, I always use this as an example. When I was in my early 20s, I, I fell in love and then got uh, torpedoed and the the chick left me and i it, it yeah i think anybody in their early 20s remembers when that happens to you it really messes you up and i i look back on it now that you know as old as i am now uh and i, I can recall being absolutely just heartbroken and fixated on that and as i tell people what if i had stepped off a curb in providence thinking about that and got whacked by a bus never saw the bus coming and i don't know i'm dead and i can't let go of what i was pondering mm-hmm. maybe my ghost would constantly be doing the same thing over and over again stepping off that um, you know that that ghostly bus stepping into the road and never paying attention to anybody around me because at the time I, I died I wasn't paying attention to anybody around me I was just fixated on that 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 emotion that pain or or or, or what have you so maybe some ghosts that are that are labeled as residual maybe they do have thoughts and feelings but they're so locked into that thing they can't let go that they just keep repeating the same thing over and over again that they just can't let go of in life. Uh, I mean, I do th- believe that some ghosts, you know, the idea of residual, it is an interesting theory, the stone tape theory, the idea that uh, if the right person comes into the environment at the right time, that, that that tape, so to speak, will play over and over again. But I'm not completely convinced that there isn't some shade of human emotion or an intelligence left in that. And it also makes me wonder if some of these residual haunts, uh, I think the word shade is the best word to use. Uh, I mean, I think we've had moments in our life where something happens and we say, you know, a part of me died then. You know, a part of me died when that happened. It almost makes me wonder if we actually do that. We actually, like, have uh, an aspect of our personality that's gone its course or, or, or had a, a very emotional time and it comes time for that to end and it just sort of, like, peels off of us. It may stay, and may, may stay in that environment if that environment allows for haunting. Because then you've got to look at the... Uh, you know the the ideas of you know running water and the you know iron in the earth and the quartz and the granite and I do think that has something to, to do with it. But I think I think ghosts are, are have a lot more depth and uh, and detail to them than than we we can understand on this side of the veil. So I I think you, you have you have hauntings that are, are there for different reasons. I also believe in the idea of um, visitation haunts. 
Um, it's something that, uh, you know, uh, the psychic uh, Pam I work with, uh, she has said that uh, there's a place in Smithfield that I couldn't write about in my book. It is actually a museum, but the, the, the historic society was like, please, we don't, we don't want it in the book. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's okay if, if you investigate here now and again, but don't put it in your book. And when I brought uh, Pam into the location, she says there's two women here, and one of them is very melancholy and won't leave the site. But she says there's someone who is special to her that comes in and out in visitation. And it's funny because they see one of the women she's talking about will see her walking around the house, but there's been times when they've heard two women singing church hymns upstairs. So it makes you wonder if one of them's stuck there because of melancholy emotional reasons and the other one is a little bit freer and may have stepped through the veil but has that ability to come back because there's an, there's an attachment to that, that spot. Mm-hmm. Emotional uh, love and, and you know, the, the family worked really hard uh, uh, to, to make that uh, farm you know, what it was in its, in its day. So I think ghosts, ghosts can haunt for all kinds of reasons. See, one of the, I mean, I kind of uh, fell into that trap that you're talking about uh, with the idea of the intelligent versus the residual. Mm. You know, and I kind of thought for a long time that it had to be one or the other based on the characteristics of the haunting. I mean, it had to be because if it's not interacting, it couldn't be intelligent. But I'm starting to wonder if that's really true. I'm starting to wonder if maybe it just chooses not to interact, it doesn't have a need to interact, or maybe there's not enough of that veil lifted that it can interact. I'm starting to think that every spirit is capable of this interaction should, yeah. should the right circumstances be there, uh, and that maybe we're only, we're only able to perceive so much of, of what it is coming through. Uh, so I think you know, the whole intelligent versus uh, you know, replay residual debate is kind of almost... In the in the past now, because yeah, it's too black and white for me. Yeah, I know there's, exactly. there's gray areas in everything, so I, I really think that um, I think you got to get to know your ghost. <laughs> you know, the ghost you're investigating, get to, get to know them. And and I'm, a lot of people looking in investigations that my experience has been, they'd be like, "Well, I got into that house. We did an investigation. We didn't get any evidence. Let's move along." And I'm lucky to say that I've got a few sites that I've gotten to know the owners of the property well, and they've gotten to trust me and. And, uh, and like me, and they've allowed me to keep returning. So I, I think it's fascinating to be able to, um, you know, some people say, well, are you beating that case to death? And I say, no, I'm learning more and more no, about that particular yeah. haunting with every time, you know, uh, I go there. And sometimes I'll stay away for a while and tell them, hey, call me if the activity kicks up. But I've been able to learn patterns uh, in, in a particular, in some spots that I've been able to keep going back to for the last couple of years. And uh uh, you do start to learn things and, and little details come out and you, you do get to learn their personality and you realize a couple of them may be wandering around and they don't even know the homeowners are there, but there's a couple of them in one house in uh, North Situate, Rhode Island that definitely knows the homeowner's there and he's trying to put his foot down and still claim that's you know, his, his turf and his territory and he calls the shots. So uh, you know, it, it's an interesting haunt. It really is. It's, it's multi-layered. As you guys say, ghost hunting is like fishing. Yeah. You go to one pond, you don't catch anything in, in that pond for that day. Does that mean there's no fish? No. 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 You no. go back continuously, and eventually, if you fish the pond enough, you know where they bite from. In some cases, if you do catch and release, sometimes you catch the same fish and doing the same habits. And, you know, that's a great analogy, and uh, something I mentioned in the book, uh, the chapter on Hopkins Mill, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, it's in the town of Foster. There is a pool that formed uh, because of a dam that was at the, uh, the Ramtail factory, and it, it formed a pool that they used to call the Ramtail Swimming Pool. And today it's become a, uh, a favorite spot for guys to, to sink their hooks. And I've talked to three different 
uh, sets of people uh, from that town that knew nothing about the, the pool's reputation, but there's a ghost named Betsy Grayson that haunts the pool. And I've talked to three separate groups of people who are fishing at the hole, same time of year, same time of day, same exact phenomena. A smoky white apparition came up out of the pool, hovered above the pool, and then floated off into the woods. And uh, so I found it funny that, you know, you know, using that analogy, Matt, and here we go, got fishermen, you know, <laughs> you know looking, they're looking for, you know, perch, and they're, they're and getting... And just like that. fishermen, you got ghost stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like being like yeah, exactly. But, yeah, yeah. But the I, ghost was this big. Yeah. No, it was this big. But what I found fascinating is all three of these people who knew nothing about the legend. They had no idea that there was anything paranormal about the location. They just thought, oh, what a great place to cast a line, and didn't catch fish, but they certainly caught an experience they'll never forget. Well, you said there's 36 chapters in the book? 36, yes. And out of all the places that you were able to investigate uh, for the book, I mean, what place captured your interest the most? What place holds the most, uh, what place haunts you, so to speak? Uh, well, one spot that I am going back to will be um, uh, Venforth Hall in Lenox, Mass. We were talking about Lenox earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, while I was there with uh, Chicopee Paranormal, uh, getting the stories uh, from uh, Mark, the head docent in the place, and... Um, uh, I got to stay that night and go ghost hunting with Chicopee, and they were a terrific group. They definitely have uh, their act together, and uh, very gadget-oriented, which I'm not, but I do respect that, and uh, we had an experience uh, down in the bowling alley. That I, I'll, the, I'll, I'll let the book tell the story, but uh, since that, I've been, boy, I, I want to get back to you know, Venforth Hall, and fortunately, I will be going there uh, in October on the, uh, the 19th. Uh, to do a presentation there, and I'm hoping they'll let me stay after the presentation and poke around in the place some more. And that that's the place that had some very famous residents over the years, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean um, uh, the thing, we're talking about uh, history real quick, talking about uh, things getting backed up by uh, by evidence. The um, the owner's first wife uh, passed away, and he remarried, and his second wife had the same first name, so everyone called her uh, Susie. Was, was the nickname. And Chicopee Paranormal got a series of EVPs where as soon as they shut the door to the libraries, they got one voice said, he's gone. And the next voice said, where's Susie? And the other one said, I don't know. And when they did the research to find out that uh, the, uh, the homeowner's second wife uh, had, uh, you know, this as a nickname, it uh, really makes you wonder who's still hanging out in the old homestead. And the funny thing was, it's kind of like Belcourt Castle. It was, it was, it was a summer house for the, for the rich. So mm -hmm. people weren't there all year round. I mean, the, the staff uh, was there. Uh, but when you think about the staff and the dedication to take care of such a house, uh, the, Tom was telling me the story where they took a coffee break down in the, uh, the hallway, and uh, when they were all done with their coffee, they, they broke up into three groups to, to go off and sit in vigil, and they left a recorder running in the hallway, and some male voice goes, they'll need more coffee. <laughs> so it makes you think there was a, probably a butler hanging out with him, you know, doing you know, what he could to uh, you know take care of him. But again, it's just uh, you know from the Gilded Age, it's a beautiful house. Uh, the uh, the Venforth Hall Association is doing uh, uh, an unbelievable job restoring the building, bringing it back to uh, it, its glory. I said that was one of the ones that fell into disrepair, right? Over yeah, it did. Yeah, some guy got a hold of it, and he was basically just removing the the uh, the, the artifacts from the house. You know, the the beautiful light fixtures and. Uh, took the whole bowling alley in the basement out, which was a shame. But uh, uh, even though the, the bowling alley is empty, there's somebody down there haunting it. Uh, as you'll read the book, there's definitely somebody who found the... Uh, was the, was the, he Munsoned? Uh, we don't... <laughs> he may have been Munsoned. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Well, and you talk about uh, a number of locations in the book, too, that we've discussed on the show, uh, including uh, the Houghton Mansion, yeah. uh, Lizzie Borden's, of course, the Fearing Tavern. Uh, but one of the ones that uh, I think you got into the, the really interesting aspects of the story behind it was the uh, Victorian Mansion and Gardner. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that, that, that was a, a, a kind of a funny thing. I was off uh, doing research. A friend of mine, uh, uh, Jim McNasher, had tagged along and... Um, 
uh, we found a place uh, that didn't want me writing about them or talking about them, and it was a shame. It looked like a really good uh, historic house and museum, very old. Um, and uh, that was a that was a bus. So uh, I was thinking, gee, where can I go? And I thought, well, you know, there's the that house of the Victorian up in Gardner. I, I, last time I heard about it, which uh, uh, was back, uh, you know, ghost hunters uh, uh, went there. Uh, the owner was so fascinated with it, he was actually letting people into the house. So I figured, ah, you know, I'll swing by. It's a private residence. It really doesn't fit into the book. But if they're, if they're allowing for tours, I mean, maybe the guy would be open-minded about uh, let me interview him. Well, that owner was no longer there, and there was a brand-new owner. Uh, Edwin Gonzalez was there. And the day I knocked on his door was only two nights after he saw his first ghost in the house. And when, he and, his, when he and his wife, yeah, when he and his wife bought the house and people started telling them, you do realize you bought a a haunted house they were like yeah whatever you know it's a beautiful mansion we want to take on the task of you know restoring this beautiful house and and preserving it and they just sort of poo-pooed the idea but uh when he had edwin sorry uh, come around the, <laughs> uh, you know sorry excuse me come around the uh, the the side of his computer screen and stare him face to face and knock him right off his chair with uh shock and surprise uh, that's when he started to uh, wonder maybe i don't know what i'm talking about and then when i knocked on his door he was like so you're a ghost hunter, huh? He goes, uh, can I talk to you about something? <laughs> and the look at his face was just, it was perfect. And uh, after listening to his story, I said, uh, yeah, you've basically bought one of the most haunted houses in Massachusetts. And uh, you might want to look into that. And since then, uh, he's brought everybody in there from Tom D'Agostino to Ron Kolick and all these people. Uh, and you know, they're running uh, investigations for the public to attend and all kinds of public events. So I, I wholly, uh, you know, recommend it to anybody to go check out not the house has so much history it's so beautiful uh and it definitely is haunted as all heck from the basement up to the attic i i had my own sighting in the house one day when i was up there with andy i mean there was this the best way i could describe it is a a male type shadowed figure because of the window silhouetted whatever it was on the stairway and it moved up the stairway in one motion as I'm looking at it, and I turned to look at Andy, and I uh, shot him the look like yeah. I just saw something. Yeah, and as we say, it was what, just as we were leaving. And, and what's interesting is uh, I then was confirmed by Edwin and others that the stairway is uh, uh, this grand, beautiful staircase yeah. is very active. There's not only a little boy who runs up and down it, but uh, Edwin himself has seen a translucent male figure. Uh, walking down the staircase he said that was actually exciting he got a kick out of that it was uh, later that week when he went downstairs to get wood pellets for his uh, wood pellet stove and a figure walked across him in the uh the the cellar he said that one made him run upstairs and hide in the kitchen (laughs) but what i found interesting about the story is uh when i was there with matt matt was fascinated with the old furnace in the and the uh the cellar and he was you know explaining how the thing would have been hooked up originally and, and would have operated and the whole time I'm staying there listening to Matt, I just felt so uneasy in the spot I was standing in. I kept turning around and looking at this antique furniture. And I said, excuse me, Matt, I don't mean to interrupt you, but i got to stand away from this furniture. For some reason, I'm getting creeped out over here. Well, I bring up Pam Padalano, uh, and the, uh, the, the day I brought her up, I called up to let Edwin know we were there. And as he's on the phone, I hear this loud crash behind him. On a windless day, the screen separated from his window and flew across his office. So uh, we go in there. We take uh, Pam down into the basement, and she looks at the furniture and goes, Edwin, is that furniture original to the house? And he goes, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in this house. I don't know if it's original. She goes, well, somebody's still clinging to that furniture. And Pam had not known about my uneasiness a month earlier. And this is exactly where Edwin saw the shadow figure. It was like it got up out of one of the chairs and walked right in front of him in the basement. And uh, he said, for some reason, that one wasn't as fun as the guy in the stairs. Well, bringing up the, the uh, Victorian mansion and gardener, I've got to ask this question, and it's popping up in the chat room, too. 
Uh, and, and if you want to call in, by the way, anybody, if you want to call in with any questions for Andrew Lake, author of Ghost Hunting Southern New England, the numbers are 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Email spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com or texts at 508-444-2661. Uh, but the question is popping up in the chat room. People want to know, what are your thoughts then about the fact that this home has now been opened up for public tours and has now been opened up for investigation at a price? Well, And the price tends to increase as the activity does. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have no uh, knowledge of uh, who's running uh, that business, if you will, for mm-hmm. them. All I know is uh, in order to properly restore that house, it's going to take some big money. Uh, they told me the price on the slate roof alone, and uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't have that kind of uh, change in the bank myself. So um, if people are looking for a true haunted house, or a house that has a reputation that they can go in and either take a tour or ghost hunt in, um, they're being given this opportunity. Um, I don't think uh, the Gonzaleses are, are going off to Puerto Rico and sitting on the beach and drinking margaritas with this money. I know they are sincerely trying to restore this this beautiful house that is a very important part of uh, that part of Massachusetts history. I mean, that was the furniture capital of the world, and, and uh, S.K. Pierce was one of those people that made that town, and it would be a shame to see that house go down. I mean, the Gonzaleses, from what I understand, own a house in Boston, they bought this house because they just l- fell in love with this architecture and they wanted to save it. To find out that it was haunted was something that came months later uh, mm. a- as the experience is built up. So, yeah, I know that some people look at it and say, well, you know, is this just a, a story to generate well, money in well, a business? Let's take a step back, though. Yeah. They didn't find out that it was haunted months later. They were told that it was haunted up front. Yeah, but they ignored they tend- that. They, tend- they didn't believe it until I believe it was somebody yeah. from, from the bank of the real estate company mentioned it. because I, I, And there was already, there'd already been an episode of Ghost Hunters right, from there, but and it already was kind of that was already in lore bo- that, 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 was, like, that was unknown to them the, about the, the publicity it got, but it was as they moved in and people would come up to them and look at them funny and go, you, you do realize that the house is supposed to be haunted? That's when they were poo-pooing. But yeah. as so many homeowners, it happens. They say, yeah, 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 sure. Right. I'm still getting a good deal here. I still want to save this property. And then they just tend to believe afterward. But it's a double-edged sword. I mean, Edwin is kind enough to open the house. He could close the doors and tell researchers and uh, ghost hunters, too bad. This is my house. It's yeah. private. It's my home. He's using what he's getting from this money, like, uh, Andy said he's using it to restore the home. He's not lining his pockets with it. Mm-hmm. it it's going into refurbishing the place. I mean, he he's going to get it from either angle. Oh, you're charging money to come in. What you know? You're just using this to make money. Or if he closed the doors to everybody, you know, he's a mean curmudgeon that won't yeah, let yeah. us in. It's a no win yeah, situation. He becomes, he becomes doobie. Yeah, <laughs> down a fall river. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, the the. The, the problem is, is, I mean, I guess, you know, on face value, if you're a paranormal investigator, you want to look at it and say, well, wait a minute, that's not right. But then again, how is that any different than any of these other places that are charging you for a room for the night? Yeah. Or if you want to, you know, I'm sure a lot of these inns and, and other places, taverns and other places that you investigate, if you want to conduct an investigation, they will tell you, okay, well, it's, you know, 1200 bucks to rent the place out for the night. And that's just how some, I mean... I don't think I'm giving away any trade secrets here to say Lizzie Borden doesn't give the house away to paranormal investigators to come in and do those investigations. No. They rent the they either rent a room or in some cases they rent the house out for them. Yeah, you're covering cost overhead. Mm-hmm. You're plain and simple. You do even that even if with- you're not though. Even if you are just doing it to make profit, so what? You invested the money in buying that property, and if that's how you want to, 
you know, get a return on your investment, then welcome to America. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Capitalism at its best. I'm not but uh, saying that now. I'm saying they have every right to do it, but at the same time, people have every right to be skeptical of them for that. Judging the story from, you know, 12 towns away isn't the way to do it. Going there, talking to them, right. working with them, figure, you know, that's that's the way to, to find out more. So, yeah, I, I we're getting into a lot of, like, you know, third-party information. Obviously, you guys are, are yeah. given the opportunity to go there and investigate without having to worry about all that stuff. But uh, it's just, you know, it, it's one of those things that's it's going to come up. And oh, yeah. I'm sure that they're dealing with it on a daily basis. And, you know, I... I I waver on it. I'm well, like, no, it's it, not right. It makes sense. It, 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 it separates right. out the people that are serious about it from the looky-loos. If it was just free to anybody come in, their door would be constantly going 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. I, I can understand if if you're serious about you know yeah. covering this. And thing. also the fly-by-night paranormal groups that just you know meet up on formerly MySpace, now Facebook. You know These people who are just getting into it for the sake of getting into it and gardeners 10 minutes from their house. Well, if you're actually charging them money to come in and do it, they're going to be less likely to come in. You're going to get more seasoned groups that are serious about it. Or on the flip side, you're going to get people who are definitely going to be more respectful and are going to be more serious about the investigation because they paid for it. I mean, right. we, we're always more careful about what we actually laid a buck down for than what we're getting for free. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, if you're going to have some kind of paranormal event, uh, you know, do you have it at, uh, you know... Uh, some little boring, you know, rental uh, hall, or, or or do you have it in a Victorian mansion that's supposed to be haunted? I mean, it's, you know, you're just just providing a venue for the subject. I I I I don't I I wouldn't pass judgment on uh, the situation there because, I, like I said, they they didn't buy the house because it was haunted, thinking, hey, let's turn it into a haunted hayride. Uh, it was something that came up later, thinking, well, we now realize this place does have activity. People are really really interested in it. And they're knocking at our door. Let them in, and let's see if we can pay some of the bills. I'm going to say, and I, I don't want to spend too much more time mm. on this, but because uh, we are running low on time, but I'll say this: if if they did buy it for the purpose of running mm-hmm. a haunted hayride out of it, and they weren't being upfront about that, then that's disingenuous. So mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. rather somebody said, "Hey, I'm buying this place because I heard that it's haunted, and I think I can make some money charging people coming in here to ghost hunt." Believe me, if I had the money when it was up for sale, if I had a million five or whatever they were asking for, I know it went for nine something. But if I had a million five, I would have bought Amityville. I would have bought, <laughs> I would have bought Ocean Avenue, and I would have turned it into a bed and breakfast, and I would have charged people to come and investigate, and I would have charged every single movie company that wanted yep. to film an Amityville movie to come and film at the actual location. Because why not? Yeah, you know, it's America. It's, you're not really doing a disservice to the evidence by charging the people for coming in to get it. But, you know, like I said, we're going to get into a debate here that's going to go on all night oh, long. Oh, sure, and, sure. I'd, I'd rather finish up uh, in the last few minutes we have talking more about Ghost Hunting Southern New England, uh, which is available pretty much anywhere you can get books, also online at Amazon.com, and we're putting it up on the store. It's, did we get it in the store already, Matt? Or? Uh, not yet. But okay, because we had some people in the chat room that want to buy it through the store, so if they can just hold off. But don't hold off too long because they're going to go fast. And again, the event is coming up on November 13th. Uh, yes, yes, the, the Northern Rhode Island event, yep. Also going to be doing uh, one with Tiffany uh, November 5th. And uh, I f- she can go to her Facebook, Spirit Media, yep. Tiffany. She's got yep. all the information up there. And I'm gonna I'm gonna get the actual website for the Northern Rhode Island Paranormal. Yes. <laughs> Dead air. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the Northern Rhode Island Paranormal Fest. Yes. 2011. That's correct. Uh, if you go to uh, Facebook.com/slash. Northern R.I. Paranormal Fest. You can get all the information there. 
uh, and find out more about it. So, And also, while you're there, why not like it, too? And that's uh, you'll be signing copies of the book there. You'll also be signing copies of the book at Haunted History Night. Oh, sure. sure. Uh, coming up October 15th at the Fearing Tavern uh, in Wareham. You can go to SpookySouthCoast.com to get your tickets uh, for that. I highly recommend that you buy them quickly because even though you know we're still a few weeks away, people are going to start picking up on it, and we're going to start having it in a lot of the no- local news outlets. And uh, so if you want to get ahead, we kind of reserved a lot of that in the early going so that the, the paranormal community could have their chance to get the first crack at the tickets. And mm-hmm. now we're getting to the point where we're going to start releasing them more to the general public. And so now you know they're going to go like – because we had whole families coming up to us last Sunday yeah. that wanted to buy tickets. So uh, definitely do so. And uh, they're only $99. You get dinner. You get lectures. You get to meet Andy. You get to meet Jeff Belanger. You get to meet Matt Moniz, who, you know, I, I mean, this, this guy is just a, a tattoo waiting to happen. Once he signs your, your breast, you know, yeah. you're going to go down and see our friend Roger at Sinners and Saints and have that tattoo. Roger's he, got a great event coming up, too. We're going to be talking about it He also next wants me to investigate his house, his home. Really? Yeah. Uh, his father, mother, and brother all died in the house. Yeah. And I, they were all their family friends and what's interesting is i knew th- i knew the family and the house is a relatively new construction so they were the only people to live in this house so i'm intrigued well if you go to uh centers and saints you can buy tickets for an event they have coming up november 17th uh mick foley is actually coming to wareham to salerno's function hall uh they're going to be having a fundraiser there on November 17th. So make sure that you go to Citizen Saints and buy your tickets there. We're going to have Roger on coming up uh, in the coming weeks to talk more about that. And, uh, you know, Roger's an old friend of the show. We've had him on in the past. So we'll talk about that coming up. And uh, I mean, I've met Mick uh, a few occasions, and he's definitely a great guy, great stories, and uh, very friendly. And they're going to actually have a, an autograph session at Citizen Saints prior to that event. So. We'll have more information about that coming up. But again, Haunted History Night 2011. Go to SpookySouthCoast.com and purchase your tickets for your chance to come and meet Andrew Lake and buy a signed copy of Ghost Hunting Southern New England. Uh, You might want to pick it up before then and uh, start reading all about the Fearing Tavern and so many of these other great locations. Is it available as an e-book too? uh, I believe it's on Nook. I know that. Okay. I have it on mine, but that's because... I steal things off the internet. <laughs> I got it from your PR people because they were afraid they weren't going to get the book in time. And I said, you know, you don't have to worry. As long as I can get it in some form, it's not going to take me long to read it because right. I know Andrew's style and I know uh, just that it's going to be a great book. And everybody, all the reviews that I've read, everybody's commenting. Uh, so you would never know, Andrew, that at one point you were actually worried <laughs> about whether or not you were going to get this out of time. Mommy, make this book go away. <laughs> Well, here it is, and it's great. It's great just cracking open that case. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what Jeff told me. He goes, wait till you break the box and you see your book for the first time. And which location is that on the cover? That is uh, the Houghton Mansion, and the statue in the foreground. Oh, there's the uh, Masonic yeah, symbol. Is a uh, pan at uh, Belcourt Castle. It was a real neat statue. I turned around, so I'm staring at me, took the shot, and clearly loved it, and said, that's, that's our ghost for the cover. There you go. Very nice. And there, there is a, a great uh, amount of comments in the chat room. They, they want to know if Pam would come on the show. Oh, I, I, I think she'd love to. I mean, okay. Pam, Pam's a fascinating person. She really is. All right. Well, then we will definitely hook that up in the future. Stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for more information about that. I think next week, I'm not totally sure, uh, but I'll have to check with Chris. I think next year, uh, next week, <laughs> we're talking about uh, Iroquois Supernatural, uh, which is a, a fascinating book. It's a huge book uh, that I've been reading over the last few weeks, and uh, we'll learn all about the 
paranormal of the Iroquois Nation. But uh, if, oh. if it's not next week, it's definitely a show that's coming up. That sounds cool. Uh, in the next few weeks. I- I'm excited. Whenever we yeah. can pay respect to the Native American cultures and find yeah. out more about what came before our ghost stories, yeah, it's always fascinating to me. Uh, so stay tuned to Spooky TV 2 during the week, Tuesday night, 9 p.m., Spirit Connections with Tiffany Rice. Yeah. And uh, new programs are coming up. You were a guest on the show just yeah, a, a had, few had a lot weeks of, ago. Yeah, had a lot of fun. It was, it was a good time. And her uh, do- her dog I'll be on in two weeks. Yeah, watch out for her dog. It uh, passes wind while you're doing the interview. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, believe it or not, it's not the giant spacious studio that it appears. Oh, it's here. gigantic. Yes. To play Frisbee in there. And uh, so definitely uh, check that out. And uh, when Matt Moniz is on, make sure you go in the chat room and harass the crap out of him. <laughs> because they do read every comment in the chat room during the show. So uh, we'll be back next week at our regular time, just after 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll be talking about the paranormal. We're actually focusing on ghosts and ghost stories all through October. Why not? It's the Halloween season. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, we're still going to figure out what we're going to wear. So uh, we're also working out a whole bunch of other things. Uh, we've got appearance requests coming in left and right, and we've got some ideas and some things going on. So stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com. Follow us on Twitter, at uh, SpookySC. Uh, find me on Facebook and like us on Facebook, at Spooky South Coast on Facebook, and uh, we'll have updates for all that stuff and more. So until then, until next week. When we return just after 10 p.m. For Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Chris Balzano, for Andrew Lake, and for everybody that helps make this show so spooktacular, we want you all to stay spooktacular.